the name of Jesus that makes all the difference, right? And that's why we are here to celebrate today. We've been in this series of messages around here called, That's a Great Question. And we've been looking at some of the big spiritual questions that people ask about God and about whether we need Him and about where did we come from. All these many different things that so many people want answers to. We live in a world today that seems to be very skeptical about their need for God. And very skeptical about whether they need Jesus. In fact, as we look around, we understand that our nation has changed drastically. We used to call ourselves a Christian nation, and many people still call ourselves a Christian nation. But the statistics tell us that we're moving in a different direction. Back in 1972, Pew Research told us that 90% of the people in our country, when asked what their religion was, said that they were Christian. Today, that number's in the high 60% range. That's a huge difference. Back in 1972, only 5% were considered to be irreligious or had no affiliation whatsoever. Today, 29% of people say they have no religious affiliation at all. They don't want to call themselves anything. Things have radically changed. People have a different idea about how it is that we come to God. And if you say there's only one way to have a relationship with God, watch out, right? People come against us because they have very strong opinions about that because they believe that we should be able to find our own pathway to God. In fact, there are some who made big, grand statements, even calling calling. An idea of there only being one way, a form of spiritual racism. Rabbi Shumeli Bodiak said this, I am absolutely against any religion that says that one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is any different than spiritual racism. It's a way of saying that we are closer to God than you, and that's what leads to hatred. Lee Strobel, who some of you are familiar with, he wrote two very, very popular books, The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith. Lee was uh, a journalist in one of the big newspapers in Chicago, and his wife became a Christian. He was an atheist. In fact, he laughed at her when she gave her life to Christ. But because he saw the change in her, he began to ask questions about whether this Jesus that she was learning about was true. So he launched into a journalistic type of investigation about whether or not Jesus was who he said he was. And after the end of the investigation, he gave his life to Jesus. His life was radically changed because he believed the facts led in that direction. But he understands what we face and how people feel about our ideology of there being just one way to God. In fact, this is what he wrote. He said that many people consider it arrogant, narrow-minded, and bigoted for Christians to contend that the only path to God must go through Jesus of Nazareth. In a day of religious pluralism and tolerance, this exclusivity claim is politically incorrect, a verbal slap in the face of other belief systems. And that's exactly how many people believe about that. Yet we, as Christians believe that there's only one way to God. Even though we understand that some people see this as a form of arrogance on our part, what we truly simply are trying to do is to figure out how to have a relationship with God. 
It's not that we're trying to exclude other people or say that there's only one way because we think there should be only one way or to be negative or come against other people. That's not it at all. The reality is we're like everybody else. We're just trying to figure out how do you have a relationship with God? This is what we know. We're not God and we can't decide how to have a relationship with him. God is the one who decides how we have a relationship with him. It would be as if someone came up to you and said, I'm going to have a relationship with you on my terms. We don't do that. None of us do that. We have relationships with other people on our terms, on how we feel that relationship would be. Yet that's exactly how people are with God. And do you know what that is? That's arrogance. We've been called arrogant, but to decide, we're the ones who decide how we come to God because we want to do it in a certain way, that in itself truly is arrogance. All we want to know is, how do we have a relationship with God? We do believe, we do believe that there's just one way to have a relationship with God. And I want to talk to you about why we believe that today. And I'm doing it for two reasons. One reason is, is because you as a person may be one of those people that it doesn't matter what you believe, just as you believe, just as long as you believe in something, you can have a relationship with God, or we can decide on our own way. Maybe you're that person and that's what you believe. Cool. You're going to have a better understanding of what Christians believe and why we believe what we believe. Here's the other thing. If you're a Christian today, and you have people who give you a hard time because you believe there's only one way to have a relationship with God, this is really awesome. You're going to learn today why you believe there's only one way to God and what it is that you can say to people to help them understand why we believe this is true and why we believe it's the best thing we could possibly experience in our life. Doesn't that sound exciting? That's what we're going to learn today. Who said there was just one way to God to start off with? Jesus did. Jesus is the one who said it. I want to read the scripture where we find this. It's found in the book of John. Jesus said these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas, doubting Thomas, the guy who doubted Jesus the most, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why should we believe this is true? Jesus was giving us the answer. On your outline sheet, I want you to fill in this first statement on your sheet. If you're following along with us today, here it is. All of us have the same questions. In fact, we've learned this in this series of messages, that we have fundamental questions. Every person asks these same questions. And I want to talk to you about those again today, even though I did a message on it before. I want to do it really quickly. And I want to share with you today, though, how Jesus gives us the answers to these questions. Here's the first question. It's the question of destiny. So on your outline sheet, you can fill that in. The origin question, where do we come from? The origin question, where did we come from? I'm going to stop right there. In other words, did God create us? 
Did he bring us into existence? Or did we come about by some natural event, some, by, some cosmic event that happened by accident? Which is the right way? Which is the correct way? Which way actually happened? What we've learned in another one of the messages that I did, I talked about why we should believe in God, and I, I got into creation and why we believe in creation and why believe, we believe that God created what we see around us in nature and that God really is the best explanation to why we're all here, what we see around us, why all of this, why the world and the universe is here. Why is that? There are two different types of beings. There's nature, and then there's the supernatural. Nature is everything that we see around us. It's the world, it's the trees, it's the stars, it's the, the, the birds, everything that is around us. And then there's the supernatural. Su- the supernatural. Supernatural comes from two words, supernature. And supernature means this. It means above nature or more powerful than nature. In other words, supernatural, the supernature, has power over nature. It can create nature and can control nature. So there are two totally separate things. One of the biggest problems that we have looking to see where did we all come from is people trying to figure out where did we come from? Where did it all start? Where did it begin? Even the people who are scientific and naturalists have a hard time explaining it because something can't be created out of nothing. Well, that's true if there's only nature. The truth is the best explanation of something coming out of nothing is there's something else. That's not nature. That's separate from nature. That's above nature. That can cause it to come into existence and can control it. We need God to understand how we even all got here. You know, it just makes common sense that there's a God when you think of it that way. Yet people who believe in this many times are looked down upon when they still don't have the answer. The answer that we're all searching for. Here's a second question. It's the morality question. So we've got the origin question and the morality question. The morality question is what is right and wrong behavior? That's a great question. We were created with the ability to know the difference between what is right and wrong. Here's how you know what is right. It's right for people to treat you the way you want them to treat you. Here's what's wrong. For people to treat you in a way that you don't want them to treat you. Right? Who said that? Jesus said that. He's the one who gave that answer. In fact, we read that in John chapter 14, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. It was Jesus who gave us the golden rule. And he said this, it sums up all the law and the prophets. In other words, every law that God gave in the Bible, everything that he inspired prophets to say to the people who were trying to hear from God, Everything that was said is all wrapped up in this one statement. We're to treat other people the way we want to be treated. We all know that deep down that that's what's right and what's wrong, right? We all need to know that. Here's a third question we ask. It's the the meaning question. And the meaning question is, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? I want to have some sense of importance, What gives me a feeling that what I'm doing really matters? Our purpose is the same purpose that Jesus' purpose was. Jesus tells us what our purpose should be. 
Jesus said this about himself. He called himself the Son of Man. So Jesus made this statement. This is what he said. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So in other words, I came to seek and to save the lost. This is what's lost. I mean, we need to know what is lost. How do we know when we're lost? Those people who are lost can't find what they're looking for. My wisdom is just so incredible sometimes, it's amazing. Is it not, right? Those people who are lost can't find what they're looking for. So then the question is, what is it that I'm looking for? What I'm looking for is love. But a lot of people, you know what happens? We're all looking for love in the wrong places. We're all looking for love. We're all looking to have a connection with other people. And our purpose is to help other people experience that same love. My purpose is just like Jesus. And that is for them to experience what love is by me showing love to other people. Here's a fourth question. This is the destiny question. I almost got ahead of myself a little while ago. The destiny's question is this. Is there life after death? If there is life after death, what is it like and how do I experience it? All of us ask this question. Even if you believe that once we die, that's the end of us, you've thought about whether or not we live after we die. We just all do this. Jesus talked about this. In fact, he talked about it in one of the most famous verses in the Bible. But I want to back up a verse and share with you another verse connected to it. It's found in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. It says this, that everyone who believes may have, what are the next two words? Eternal life. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. In other words, to live forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have, what are the next two words? Eternal life. So what Jesus just said is he answers the question, yes, there's life after death. Yes, we can live forever. Even in the scripture that I read to you at the very beginning today when Doubting Thomas asked him, how do we get to heaven? Jesus talked about the reality of a heaven. He said this, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? In other words, yes, there is life after death. There's even a place that we go. And here's the good news. There's a place for you. Y'all, that's awesome, isn't it? There's a place big enough for you. Why would I want there to be life after death? That's a great question. And I'm going to answer that question, but I want to do it by looking at something new on our outline sheet. Actually, we talked about it last week just a little bit, because not only do we all have the same questions, but we also all have the same desires. Write that down. We all have the same desires, and these desires actually are connected to some of these questions. So what are our desires? Let's look at the first desire. We want to be valued. All of us want to have a sense of value. All of us want to feel like we're cared for. Somebody cares about us. In other words, all of us want to feel loved. For us to feel loved, I want you to hear this. For us to feel loved, we have to be connected to things that love us back. For me to have value, I need to have connection with things that love me back. And this is what's so frustrating for people who make material things of this world their gods like their house or their boat or their car or their motorcycle or whatever it is. I posed this question last week. When's the last time your house kissed you back, right? It just doesn't happen. 
we make these things our God and we live for these things, but they don't do anything for us. They don't. We're constantly looking for something that loves us back. And that's why our value comes in relationships. That's where our true value comes from. For every person, it comes through relationships. And Jesus came to this earth to show love to us, to care for people on this earth, to prove that we had value. He met the needs of people who were hurting. People who need to be healed, he healed. He cast out demons. He did other things for people who were in a desperate place in life. That's what Jesus did. But here's the really awesome thing that Jesus did. Are you ready? He did it for people who didn't deserve it. By the way, none of us do. But he showed love to an adulterous woman who'd been caught in adultery and showed love to her and compassion to her. He did it to a, a little guy named Zacchaeus who was a, a, a thief. He was a tax collector and took money from the people and he went to his house and had a meal with him and showed him that he had value and that he cared. In other words, I love you. I care about you even though you do things wrong. That's when we feel valued. When people actually love us back, when we don't, when, when we absolutely know deep down we don't deserve them doing this for us we feel valued here's a second desire that we have we want to have significance uh, we learned about this in the question about purpose right or meaning we all want to have meaning we do want to have significance we want to feel like our lives make a difference we feel best when we help improve other people we feel best when we help improve other people. I want you to say that with me. We feel best when we help improve other people. Say it one more time. We feel best when we help improve other people. That's what makes me feel most significant. Yet many people in their life live their life to improve themselves. Now, it's not bad to do things to improve yourself. But the reason why we should improve ourselves is to be better at helping to improve the lives of other people. Because our sense of significance comes when we know somebody's life is better because of our influence and because of what we've done. We feel the best about who we are when that's who we are. It's just true. It's not a spiritual thing. It's just reality about our life. Yet we see these two different lifestyles that are posed against each other. People who serve other people to find significance or people who are constantly trying to use other people to benefit themselves. And the battle is on. And that's why they're having a real, real sense and desire issue in their life. There's a third desire. And that desire is that we want to have hope. All of us need hope. If we don't have hope, it's hard for us to continue living. That's just the truth. Hope is about the future. I need to believe in something that is strong enough to help me with what I'm dealing with today to give me a better future. Hope is always about the future. I hope my future is going to be better. So what do I need to believe in then? If I'm going through things right now that I don't have the power to control or to make better, I need somebody more powerful than me to help me deal with whatever it is. So for me to have hope, I need someone more powerful in my life than me, which means I need someone who has more abilities than I have and who has more knowledge than I have. 
they're capable to do things that I cannot do, so I'm, I'm faced with things that I have no power to do something about. Someone who is capable to do it can come in and save the day. Or if I need information and I need knowledge, I need someone who not only knows about the past and present, but can know the past and the present and the future and sees a perspective that I don't see. It sounds a lot like maybe, I don't know, a god? I mean, if there's a God, certainly God is more powerful than we are and knows more than we know. With that in mind, I can always have hope. I can always have hope. Because no matter what I'm going through, God is powerful enough to control it. God is powerful enough to help me through it. He is my best hope. One of the reasons why many people don't believe in God I mentioned uh, this a a little while ago about where did we come from and uh, did God create us and all of this. One of the reasons people just rule out God is because they say that there's evil in the world. Certainly if there was a God, then there would be no evil in the world, right? I mean, that's what they think. So therefore they take him out of the equation to try to figure out some other reason or some other pathway to God. So let me just follow that reasoning just for a moment and say this. Okay, let's imagine that there is no God. Is there still evil in the world? There still is evil in the world. So it seems to me that if there is still evil in the world, our best hope is that there is a God out there who can help us deal with what's happening in our world. The things that come against us. Someone who can give us hope for a future. We need hope for a future. And it comes through God. So if God is the one who gives me hope, and I need to have a relationship with him, this gets back to the very original thing that I talked about at the beginning. How do I have a relationship with God then? How can I have a relationship with him? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about right now. How do we have a relationship with him? Number three on your outline sheet says this, there is the way to God for all of us. God has provided the way for all of us. For some, again, getting back to the, that whole singular view of a way to God, there's only one way to God. People have a hard time with that. But what we know is that many of the people who have a hard time with that believe the exact same thing. They just believe there's a different way to God than through Jesus. But they still believe this is, in my religion, what I'm supposed to believe in order for me to have a relationship with God. So what I want to do, just for fun, is to give you some examples of some of those religions who do that very thing. Doesn't that sound exciting? Some of you aren't convinced. Okay, so on your sheet, the religious beliefs of a single way. Let's consider some of these. First of all, let's talk about the Greeks. The Greeks believe in something called logos. The Greek philosophers wondered how an all-knowing God could have a relationship with a wicked world, so they came up with this concept of logos, which means word or reason. The logos was this mysterious essence that guided them to knowledge. So this mysterious essence would give them the rules or the laws in which they were to follow in order for them to be able to connect with a God. It's so interesting because... The New Testament is written in Greek, and John, when he was writing the story about Jesus in the book of John in Greek, 
There's one scripture that, that says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's the very first verse in the book of John. John chapter 1, verse 1. He, the word that he used for word in that scripture, is the word logos. Because it's a Greek word. But what he was explaining to the Greeks, in the beginning was the word, the logos, but the logos was God, was with God, but the logos was also God. He was telling them, the logos is not some divine essence. The logos is an actual being whose name is Jesus. Here's another example. The Buddhist, Buddhism believes in Dharma. Dharma uh, is... Uh, this also mysterious guide, very much like Logos. But Buddhists believe that when he, Buddha, received his enlightenment, that it was the Dharma, this essence, that enlightened him. The Dharma gave him the law of karma, which were the laws that they were to live their lives by. Again, it's this essence that gave them the rules to follow to lead them to God. Here's another example. Buddhism. Buddhism believes in the conditioned Brahman. There are actually two Brahmins. The supreme Brahman, which is considered to be the highest form of Brahman or God, and the conditioned Brahman, which is an essence that gives them the rules that they're to follow in order to be able to connect with God. Here's another example of it. The Tao. Taoism believes in Tao. Tao, this religious belief, is a Chinese belief system. It comes from the Chinese philosopher Laozi. Some of you may have heard of him before. Tao means the way or the road. It's so interesting because in the Chinese Bible, the word they use for the word in Chinese is also the word Tao. To help them understand what you believe is Tao as this divine essence is actually a literal being, a man whose name is Jesus. Here's another example of it. Y'all, this is exciting to me. Judaism believes in the Torah. The Torah is the law of God, the book of the law, the Ten Commandments, all these things that were given, right? Uh, we look at this in the Old Testament. The, the Torah, the laws were to be followed. For me to have a relationship with God, I have to obey the law. I can only know God if I obey the law. Here's one final. It's Islam. Islam believes in the Quran. Muhammad, right, brought in the Quran. The Quran is a bunch of a, a book of rules that we are to follow in order for us to have a relationship with God. In every case, every one of these religions say there's only one way. There's this divine essence, there's this being out there that gives us the rules. We're to follow the rules to know God. That's what they say. I, I, let me illustrate it to you this way. It's a religion that gives us laws through whatever divine essence, these different means, dharmas, and all these other things that we talked about. They give the law, and we follow the law to make our way to God. There's a problem, though. What happens if you don't obey the law? There's, there's a weak a weakness in the system. There's a weakness in the system because we don't always all obey the law. Y'all, even in the Old Testament, God gave us the Ten Commandments and told us to obey the law, right? But even we know that we don't obey the Ten Commandments all the time. And these other religions don't obey all these laws all of the time. So if law is not the way is there another way in which we can connect to God? Since 
We all never measure up all the time. That's the big question. Well, I'd like to answer that for you. Aren't you glad? On your outline sheet. The reason for a single way is that we need love, not law. Hopefully this is going to make sense to you. I love this. I love what this looks like. Again, let's look at the illustration. With other religions, there's religion. They give the laws through these different divine essences and these mediators that give them the law to make their way to God. Yet, if we don't obey the law, we don't make it to God. Again, we understand what that is. We understand what it is to live a moral life. We understand what is right and what is wrong. We already looked at the scripture. Let's look at it again. It's what Jesus said, right? The golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. But we understand we don't always do this, and God gave a name for that behavior. It's called sin. Sin separates us from God. We don't follow the law all the time. In fact, the scripture tells us that. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Y'all may have heard me explain to you the term sin before, but let me do it again really quickly. Sin is an old military term. It means to fall short. The commander would take, out his, take his soldiers out to the field and they would do target practice. So they would set up the target and they would shoot the arrow. And when the arrow would go toward the target and miss the target, the commander would say, soldier, you sinned. In other words, you fell short of the target. Listen to this scripture again. For all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? We bring glory to God. In other words, we reveal who God is when we are loving to other people and do everything for their benefit and for their best. That's what brings glory to God, to reveal who he actually is. But the Bible says we fall short of that. When they heard that word sin, they knew exactly what it meant. They knew exactly what that, that meant. And it was so heavy on them, and it should be heavy to us, that we don't love others all the time. So we're separated from God. So then what do we need? If we can't earn our way to God because we're not good enough, we are reliant on God making the decision to come to us. We can't make God come to us. God has to choose. I'm going to go to them instead. They're not good enough to follow these rules, so therefore, I'm going to go to them in, instead. So why would he do that? Well, he would do that because he loves us. He cares about us. How do we know God loves us? Well, God would need to send somebody to the earth to tell us that he loves us and to show us what it looks like to love other people. He didn't need to send somebody to the earth to tell people what the law was and the rules were. Y'all, this is awesome, and I'm really about to get excited about this. We needed somebody to come and tell us that God loves us even though we, don't break, the, even though we break the law. We need someone to come and tell us that he loves us even though we break the law. Jesus didn't come to start spewing off all this law. I mean, look at what he said. 
He may have referred to it here or there about the commands and all this. But what did he say about the commands? It's to love God and love other people. And he continually helped the people see that we have broken the law. But God loves us anyway. We need God to come and tell us that he loves us anyway. And that was Jesus' entire ministry of showing love to an adulterous woman and showing love to a thief and showing love to other people who didn't deserve God's love, which we can include ourselves in that. So then, how do we make this connection with God? Well, let's get back to the law. If we break the law, there has to be punishment. It's like any law. It's like a crime. You commit a crime, you go to court. There's some punishment that you have to pay for the crime that you committed. It's the same way in our relationship with God. We broke the law, so there's a punishment. So what is the punishment for our breaking God's law? Well, it's pretty severe. Actually, I wouldn't say it's pretty severe. It's the most severe. It's death. The punishment for breaking the law is death. Why would it be death? Why would that be it? I mean, do I deserve death for stealing something or lying to someone? Or I mean, it's not like I murdered someone. I mean, someone may have, but it's not like I murdered someone. So why is it death? That's a really great question. It's because sin, when it is full grown... Sin, when it wells up within us, causes us to be selfish. And when we are selfish, we begin to harm other people. And our greatest form of harm that can grow into our life leads to what? It leads to death. In fact, the scripture tells us that very thing. In James chapter 1, verse 15, it said, Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So we need someone that will take the punishment for the worst of who we can possibly be. That's what we need. So who is this one who's going to take the punishment and die for the laws that we've broken? That's a really great question. Well, we give this a name. It's called a sacrifice, right? This person or this thing that dies for our breaking the law is the sacrifice that takes our place. Let's go back to the Old Testament just really quickly. That's what would happen. The people would sin against God. They would go to the temple. They would take an animal, which they had raised, and they would take it to the priest. They would put their hand upon the animal, identifying their sin with the animal, and the priest would kill the animal. The blood would be spilled to cover up their sins so that they would be forgiven. So a sacrifice took the punishment of death, you get it, right, for the sin. But here's the problem. They would do it, they would leave the temple, trip, cussing down the stairs all along the way, and need another sacrifice. So every year they would come back to the the temple over and over again. They did the same thing over and over again with these animals. Because animals don't choose for us, animals are just animals, We need someone who is powerful enough not only to die for the things that we've done in the past, but to die for the things that we do now and to die for the things that we do in the future. Who is that? It's a person. We need a person who's willing to do this. So who is that person? That person has a name, and that person is called a Savior. Well, there are certain qualifications that this Savior must meet. 
This is the big meaty part of the message. As if the rest were not meaty enough. What are the qualifications of this Savior? I'm glad you asked because on your outline sheet, there are places for you to write some things down. The first qualification is that he is both God and man. If this person is going to connect us who is separate from God with God, then he has to be a part of God's family as God, but he also has to be a part of man as humanity. To bring the two together, he has to be both. This is where the importance of the virgin birth at Christmas time is so important. The, the part of this that we see is, is that there has to be a supernatural part of this person and a natural part of this person. The natural part of this person was Mary, right, who became pregnant. Her DNA was the her DNA was a part of Jesus, right? Because of humanity, the natural part of her. But she was impregnated by God, the virgin birth, right? So God, his DNA is also a part of Jesus, the supernatural part of it. Y'all, this is so heavy. As a natural man, he could feel pain, he could feel sorrow, he could feel emotions, he could experience what all human beings could experience. But as a supernatural man of God, he had the power over all natural things. And he had to be both to bring both together. Here's the second thing. He had to be sinless. He couldn't do anything wrong. If he did something wrong, he would lose our respect. And if he did something wrong, he'd be dying for his own problems, not the things that we had done wrong. So he has to be worthy of the sacrifice and have done nothing wrong. Next thing, he wants the best for us. In other words, he doesn't hold a grudge against us and want us to be judged because we're bad people. Instead, he wants the best for all of us. Y'all need to be very happy that I ain't God. You hear what I'm saying? Because sometimes it's hard not to hold grudges against people and want the worst for people. We've got to have somebody who wants the best for everyone, even if they do something against them. What did Jesus say when he's dying on the cross? To these people who are torturing him, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What else? He's willing to sacrifice. In other words, he's willing to make the choice to give his life for us. You say, but Jesus didn't choose to give his life. He was arrested. He was put on the cross. Y'all, Jesus could have just with his mouth said, be dead, all of you, and everybody just dropped dead and never gone on that cross. But he decided to be the sacrifice for our sins. What else? He is able to defeat our greatest threat, which is death. The greatest thing that I can do against you is death. The greatest thing that you can do against me is death. The greatest thing that humanity can experience from the natural world is death. So I need a savior who is more powerful than death. In fact, I need a savior who has the supernatural ability to overcome death and come back to life. That's who I need. So let me ask you a question. Who meets the qualifications. There's only one. There is only one person who meets all the qualifications. Doesn't it make sense that Jesus is the only way to God? 
Because he's the only one who meets all the qualifications. He's the only one who meets all the criteria. In the Bible, it talks about this. Look at what it says. It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. How many people? All people, this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. It is Jesus. Now you can understand when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Y'all, doesn't it make sense? It just does. But we're not there yet. Because we're still separated from God. There's still a gap. We need something called forgiveness. We need this sacrifice from this Savior to be done for us personally. The Bible talks about this. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, it says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement or of forgiveness through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We have to decide to accept what Jesus did for us personally. It's a personal decision. Y'all, the fact that Jesus died on the cross is a historical fact. There are other historical documents besides the Bible that talk about Jesus dying on the cross. That might blow your mind, but everyone knows that Jesus lived and died, that he was crucified. They don't deny that because, again, it's historical fact. What makes it different is when we accept the fact that he did what he did for us, that we know we needed what he did. Oh, that's heavy right there. That's when it happens. I need what he did for me. In other words, I know my sin put him on that cross. Listen to what Paul said about this. This is what he said about becoming a Christian. That if, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and in other words, believe that Jesus is the one who did all of this for us, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That we would say, yes, Jesus, I have sinned, and I'm sorry, and I need forgiveness that comes through you and your death and your resurrection. When we do that, we've accepted what he's done for us. Let's look at the illustration. There's a connection between ourselves and God. Here's the difference. Religion is about law. Relationship is about love. Law doesn't love you back, but God does. Oh, that's good right there. That's good right there. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we go to the Lord in prayer. Do you have a relationship with God? It, you might be one of these people who've said, I'm a good person, I've, you know, whatever. We all of us know that we're not good all the time. Every person would admit that. We know that. We can't earn our way to God. Maybe you've been one of these people who said, it doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you believe in something. I, I, my hope for you today is that you just understand why we will believe what we believe about Jesus. And 
our hope for you is that you would come to believe this to be true too. That the reason why I believe Jesus is the only way is because I want to have a relationship with God and God decided to come to me out of love and he didn't have to, to give me a way to him. That's awesome. It's not something to be critical about, it's to be overwhelmed by that he would love me that much. So I want to encourage you today to make the most important decision you could ever make that will give you hope for eternity. To accept the forgiveness that comes through Jesus, his death and his resurrection for your sins. We do it through prayer. The Bible says if we call on the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. So I want you to imagine right now, just think about God sitting on his throne. Just think about him sitting there. And I want to encourage you, if you want to become a Christian, if you want forgiveness of your sins, to have a relationship with God, I want to ask you to pray this simple prayer to God. Just think about God sitting on his throne. Just what you're going to say to him. Just pray silently right now. Just say this. Dear God, I know you love me. And I don't deserve it because I do things wrong. I've loved myself more than other people. And I've sinned. And I'm sorry. I know you sent Jesus to die on the cross. To take the punishment of death for my sins. And to be resurrected to defeat death forever. I accept what you did for me, Jesus. By dying for my sins. And coming back to life. And I give you control of my life. I commit to follow you as the leader and Lord of me. If you just pray that and then it with your heart, God hears us and says yes. He accepts us. Welcome to the family of God. It's the most important decision that you could ever make. We want to give you an opportunity to have confidence about the decision that you've made. Jesus made this statement, if you deny me before men, then I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. And I want to give you a really simple way that you can proclaim that you know Jesus, that you just did what you did. You're not ashamed that you've just given your life to Christ, that you've accepted what Jesus has done for you. And you're just going to do it for me. I'm not asking you to do this so I can see a bunch of hands or, wow, look at what happened. This is for you. To give you confidence in what you just did. If you just prayed that prayer of salvation. I'm the only one looking around, right? If you just prayed that prayer of salvation, just raise your hand. Anywhere around the worship. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't have enough thank yous to go around right now because there are so many hands that are in the air. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Congratulations on the most important decision that you've made. And doesn't it feel good? that you want other people to know about it. This is what we're going to do. This is completely up to you. We just want to help you, all right? Back in the back, in the back corner, to my right to your left, there's some two banners that say the journey begins, and there's some high-top tables, and we're going to have some of our counselors back there in just a second after the service, right after the end of the service, right? Actually, they might be back there already. We have a a Bible, a brand-new Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible and a devotional book to help you in your your Christian life just as a gift to you just to encourage you so if you raised your hand to give your life to Christ or maybe you didn't raise your hand and but you've given your life to Christ and you want that I want to ask you at the end of the service 
I mean, it's nobody's looking at you or staring at you or whatever. Just over there in the corner. Just head back there and let them know, I accepted Christ today. They're going to know exactly what you're doing, and they know what to do to give you the stuff. So I want to encourage you to do that today because we just want to be a help to you. It may be that you've got something else going on in your life right now, though. That you have some type of hurt or need that is going on and you need somebody to pray for you. Up at the front, uh, some of our staff have gathered right in front of the stage and they would love to pray for you. Or if you have questions about salvation, I mean, what we've been talking about and you want to ask them more questions, they'd love to talk to you more about giving your life to Jesus as well. I want to encourage you to do that. Also, by the way, after this service today, we're having a baptism. We have some people who are already scheduled to be baptized. It might be that you've never been baptized. You've never given this outward public uh, you know, expression of your belief in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. What a great day to do it here on Easter Sunday. We'd love for you to be baptized. Yeah, we'd love for you to do that. So um, you can just come and let them know. I tell you, I'm just going to, I just sprung that on you guys, all right? I didn't tell you I was going to do that. But um, you can just come and let these guys know, and girls, uh, down in the front of the stage, just let them know you want to be back. We have clothes you can change into, all right, uh, to help you out in that. Whatever God is leading you to do, let's do it. Let's all stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. As God leads you to come, come and pray. And it might be wherever you are, just lift your voice before the Lord and pray to Him. I'll sing along with our team as we worship the Lord. thank you so much for what you've done here today in this place. I thank you, God, that we are here to celebrate your son who rose from the dead for us. Thank you for coming to us through Jesus. And may we never forget what has been done for us. 
And may we be the people, God, who take this message of love to the people that we know so that they can experience what we've experienced. The value and the significance and the hope that comes through you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.